everybody. This is Mark. Welcome back to another episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast. I'm really glad you're listening. If you're new, welcome aboard. Today, we're going to talk about belly fat. Everybody's favorite topic. You might have a generous helping of that yourself, but we're not going to talk about your belly fat or mine, but we are going to talk about hope. And I want to discuss with you the idea that hope is a lot like belly fat, specifically hope in God. And I think it's going to encourage you, maybe make you smile a little bit. I guarantee after listening to this podcast, the next time you go out in public, you will have a hard time not smiling at all the people with hope out there (laughs) in the world around us. Anyway, hope is like belly fat. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Hang tight. Well, I hope you are having a good week. I know it's early. I know it's early. It's like, Mark, come on. It's just Monday. But I don't know when you're going to listen to this podcast. So you're probably going to listen to this podcast not on Monday with the exception of those of you who hang on pins and needles. Hang on pins and needles? Sit on pins and needles. Who would in their right mind would sit on pins and needles? People say, I'm on pins and needles. Well, in God's dear name, get off, sir. (laughs) That is an uncomfortable place to be. I was sitting in one of our chairs in the living room recently where my wife had been working on my daughter's formal dress for the sports banquet, and I set my hand down on the arm of the chair right into a needle that had been placed in the arm of that chair by only what I can assume was my smoking hot, loving wife. Man, that hurt. So I don't know who in their right mind would stay on pins and needles, what even, what even that means, but... Anyway, those of you who are on pins and needles waiting for a Monday episode, your relief has come. I am here. The episode has hit your podcast provider, and you're listening right now to my voice in your head. Nice, right? Yeah, I think that's nice. I went this morning to Dollar General to get a charging cable for my iPhone, it really pains me to have to say those, that word out loud, iPhone, my iPhone in particular. I hate iPhones, but I find myself stuck with one, and this is where the Lord has me right now. God has ordained that this would be my lot in life, and so I have no choice in the matter. So I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to be patient, and I'm trying to be joyful and content even though the very God who ordained that I would have an iPhone already ordained my actions and and intentions as well. But I'm going to operate under the illusion that I have free will, and I'm trying very hard to be grateful for my stupid iPhone. Anyway, I went to Dollar General to get a charging cable for my blessed iPhone, and I met the lady behind the counter I see her there often because I go to Dollar General often and she knows who I am. And I said, well, hey, how are you doing this morning? And she said, eh. And I said, well, you know, 
I've had a lot of eh Mondays myself. And she said to me, every day is eh for me. That's sad, isn't it? But I've been there. I have been there. If you hear a little bit of a southern accent in my voice right now, I'm trying to get it out of my head. But I just got done talking to a good friend of mine, Ronnie Wise, and I'm a sympathetic accenter. Some people are sympathetic criers. Some people are sympathetic pukers. I'm a sympathetic accenter. Like if I talk to somebody with an accent, next thing I know, <laughs> next thing I know, I'm talking to the lack of it. I can't help it, man. Uh, I don't want, oh, I'm not Southern, but it is the way it goes. I happen to think, and I'm going to get around to hope here in just a minute, but I happen to think that people who have the ability to hear and imitate the accents of the people they're talking to, besides being incredibly irritating, I happen to think we have the ability to understand people better in order to be able to assimilate or um, mimic the accent, you have to understand the words that are being said. So, for example, when I go to the Philippines and I uh, talk to the people there in, in their heavily accented English, I end up talking just like them in that heavily accented English. But I don't have nearly the difficulty understanding the words that they're saying as people who have gone with me who are non-sympathetic accenters. I wonder what you are. Are you a sympathetic accenter or not? Do you find yourself uh, mimicking the accent of the people that you talk to, you know, culturally appropriating their accent. Um, anyway, so I'm trying to get that out and uh, to just get back to my normal, whatever accent that is. So if you're noticing it saying, what is up with Mark right now? That's, that's, that's what it is. Now, you know, anyway, that poor lady said every day is eh for me. And I get it, right? She works at Dollar General. If, if you were in your 50s and you found yourself working as a uh, cashier at Dollar General by, you know, choice, maybe you might feel the same way. I think in all labor, there's profit. And I think whatever we do, if we do it heartily as to the Lord, we can rejoice in it. And I'm also aware at what a hypocrite I am saying that because I've found myself having to do things before that... I just wanted to get out of and put myself in situations that I didn't want to be in. And those are miserable places to be. But I don't know if this lady has any hope of doing anything other than working at Dollar General. And so she finds herself just, yeah. I've been talking a lot about faith, hope, and love with our church because we're trying to work through and narrow down some core values. You, rem you may remember a time recently uh, in the last year or so when I went through and talked about uh, the three C's of building a successful community. And um, there were core values is number one, and then commitment, and then compromise. So we're trying to deal, we're trying to go through and identify core values. And I want them to be based around faith, hope, and love. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians said, Now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And so thinking about them kind of like in a hierarchy or pyramid shape, we talked a lot about faith. And so right now we're going through hope on Wednesday nights. And we're just doing some, some study on it and some discussion on it. And then we'll come back later and try to nail down and um, verbalize some core values that are around these three concepts of faith, hope, and, and love. But hope Hope has been really interesting because hope is a powerful thing. A lot of times people conflate hope and faith. I think that 
that happens a lot. When we say we have faith or when we say we have hope, a lot of times for lack of better clarity, we can sometimes overlap them as if they're just two words for the same thing. And they're absolutely not. Um, faith is, is a belief which leads to an action, hence faithfulness. But hope is more about a, a confidence and expectation, an expectation rooted in confidence, uh, actually, is a, is a biblical hope. But the word hope is interesting because in, in the scriptural vernacular, the expectation of evil or the expectation of bad is called fear, whereas the expectation of good is called hope. So it's, it's what are you expecting? What is it that you're expecting to happen? Like the lady in the mountains who said, I always feel bad when I feel good because I know I'm going to feel worse. And she's expecting bad things to happen. This is the Eeyore syndrome. Like, thanks for noticing me. Um, you know, hey, good day, Eeyore. What's good about it? That kind of thing. Like, even if I, even if something good happens, I'm sure there'll, there'll be a reason why it'll turn out not to be good for me. Hope is not... Rose-colored glasses, um, whistle while you work, um, bluebird on your shoulder, everything is perfectly fine. We all know people who post on social media the hashtags and you talk to them and they act like all the world is just an oyster, which makes no sense to me because I hate oysters, but the whole world is your oyster and that there's never anything bad. There's never anything sad. Everything's on top side. What are you doing under the circumstances? Don't you know you're supposed to live above the circumstances? I'm, I'm actually going to say like we can't be under or above. We're like just in the circumstances. But anyway, whatever. I'm not talking about hyperbole. I'm not talking about uh, rose-colored glasses. I'm not talking about uh, un- unrealistic expectations like I hope I win a million dollars I hope you do too but the the truth of the matter is biblical hope is expectation rooted in God there's actually a lot of different hopes in scripture and uh, there are a lot of different uh, illustrations of hope the Hebrew language is an incredibly descriptive language and it uses a lot of uh, analogies it uses a lot of pictures to illustrate truth and it's one of the beautiful things about the Hebrew language. And so a lot of times the word hope that's translated hope is actually, uh, there's a, uh, an underlying word that, uh, I'm trying to think how to, how, to, how to word this. It's like this, and it's something that you can see, something that you can think on and meditate on that gives you a greater understanding of it. For example... One of the primary words that's translated as hope literally means accord. So if you use the King James Bible, for example, and you go to the book of Joshua and you see Rahab, the harlot, who is told to put the scarlet cord down, uh, out, hang it outside the window, it's the same word. The word that is translated cord, is that's the word that is the majority of the time translated as hope. In scripture, because hope literally means the, the not hope. The underlying word literally means hope. Uh, <laughs> I'm not getting this wrong. The underlying word literally means cord. And 
when we think about this, that cord, you know, you read that and you meditate on it, cords bind, cords hold up. In the case of Rahab, the cord was a signal. And so we look into the New Testament and we see Peter say, be ready always to give a reason for the hope that lieth in you. And you think, well, how would people know that I have hope in me? Well, because something is signaling, something in your actions is signaling something different, like a cord, a, scar a scarlet cord hanging from a window would indicate something to somebody. So there, that's a, just one example of how hope and uh, the pictorial language behind it. One of the funniest ones, though, to me, to me, and it wasn't intended to be humorous in Scripture, it's just because of our culture, it tends to be a bit more humorous. One of the funniest ones is found in the book of Psalms. So I'm going to read Psalm 78, verses uh, 6 and 7. The psalmist said that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, obviously, Psalm 78, it's much larger than verses 6 and 7. But here it's talking about knowing the commandments of God and the works of God, and then telling them to their children who could tell them to their children, and by knowing the works of God and the commands of God with the accompanying promises then that would cause them to set their hope in God, that their hope would be in God. And this is a concept that is found all through the Psalms. Hope in God, hope in God. My hope is in the Lord. We sing that in church sometimes. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. So that's a beautiful song. I know that that just blessed you. Should I sing that again? No, I won't. But it's a beautiful idea of setting our hope in God. Because hope can be in a lot of things. The Bible says that the hope of the wicked shall be extinguished or shall fail. So we have to be careful what we set our hope in. So as I was going through and I was studying this out and I'm looking at the underlying words because there are several different ones. The underlying words for hope, hope is an anchor, hope is a cord, but hope is also this. And I looked up the word hope and it's the Hebrew word uh, Kessel, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing like a dumb American and not like a Hebrew scholar. So uh, apologies to those of you who are purists. Like, I took Hebrew in college and that ain't how you pronounce that. And you probably didn't take Hebrew in college if that's how you're talking. But the, the, the truth of the matter is, um, I'm sure it's not Kessel, but let's just use Kessel. Uh, the English transliteration, K-E-S-E-L. The word Kessel is primarily, when I say primarily, I mean the majority of the time, it's translated as, guess what? Flanks. Flanks. You find this word that's translated hope in Psalm 78, 6 and 7. You find it most often in the books of Numbers and Leviticus where they're talking about the sacrifices and and basically processing the sacrificial animals and cutting away the kidneys. And the, it's talking about the, the flanks. It's the idea. And then it's also literally the, like the viscera, the fat that is surrounding the internal visceral organs. It's belly fat from the loin to the top of the abdomen, that area. And 
it's it's a really interesting word picture, right? Again, it doesn't mean hope means belly fat, but it uses a word that is most often indicated as or literally means like the viscera, the fat surrounding uh, the front of the belly and the thighs, that stability, that area, uh, and how it covers and and surrounds uh, the the vital organs, the kidneys, and so forth. And it's really interesting pictorial example that they might set their hope in God and that they would use the word Kessel. So they used this word because that viscera, that visceral fat came to be a picture of two things, which is why we use it also for the word hope. Because a good amount of fat content in, especially in the ancient world, where it wasn't necessarily the most desirable thing to be skinny with your abs showing because in a world where food wasn't always as readily available, having a, a healthy portion of visceral fat was good for you for two reasons, because it protected your vital organs from damage if they were, you know, if you were struck in the stomach or something. Uh, it provided a grounding for you by being a little heavier in the midsection. You were grounded a bit more. You had a lower center of gravity. And it, so there was stability there. But also in times of famine, times where food was less uh, available, those who had a healthy layer of belly fat or um, core fat, if you will, around, again, the, the, the upper thighs, the loin, sorry for that biblical reference, the, the abdomen, the viscera, all of that area, they were less likely to die of starvation because they had a healthy supply of Kessel. A healthy supply of Kessel. I'm a big fan of the History Channel's program alone. And the number one reason, aside from injury or loneliness, that people get pulled from that program. As the seasons have gone on, they've gotten a little bit smarter. And they'll actually pull contestants, even if they don't want to leave and they're not injured, if they lose too much uh, body weight. So it is actually a good thing. The contestants that have the best advantage besides their knowledge of survival going into this uh, show, going into this competition, are those with a healthy layer, maybe even a little bit extra, a uh, few pounds of body fat. And this is usually stored around the middle. On a recent season that my daughter and I were watching on the Roku channel, there was a guy who really wasn't doing that well. Food was not not in abundant supply. And he actually won the show by starving to death. He didn't thrive. He wasn't thriving. But he went into the show with something like 30 or 35 extra pounds that he had packed on. And there was one point in the show where he said, I figure I've got at least another 10 or 12 pounds of reserves. Because what happens when the body goes into a time of starvation or famine, the body begins to convert stored fat to burn those calories, usable calories for energy and nutrients. When that fat is all gone, then the body begins to cannibalize the 
muscles and turn that into energy to survive. And that's when you get into a really, really dangerous time because your organs start shutting down and your body starts to deteriorate and you, you, you can it can affect your heart and all of that. The first layer of defense in a time of famine is having a, a decent amount of hope stored up around your midsection. And this is a really cool illustration that of a word in the Bible that helps us. Again, in Bible times, this would have not been funny as much as it would have been, well, of course, it makes perfect sense. Because if you're in a time, again, where food may have been in short supply, it was admirable and even a good idea to have a little bit extra weight on you. Remember, in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says the liberal soul shall be made fat. And that wasn't an intended, so, oh, so all fat people are liberals. That's, that's, that's an, you know, that's a funny, and although I did hear a pastor one time say that because he was an idiot, but the, it's, it was intended to say, look, if you, if you are generous, God will return that generosity by giving you an abundance, and the sign of that abundance will be you'll put on a few extra pounds. And this is hard for us in the West because we, we go to gyms to work off the extra pounds that in the, in the ancient world and in much of the world today, they was like, why are you wasting all of that hope? Why are you wasting all of that energy? Why would you want to do away with all of that fat? Even in the Philippines, um, to the extent that they've not been influenced by Western ideas, they still view a little bit of extra body weight as a sign of blessing because that means you've had plenty to eat and you don't need to, to fear starvation. So again, knowing about God and his promises and his commands uh, and, and, the, and the ensuing blessings as a result of keeping those promises would cause the children and the generations to set their hope in God. God would be like belly fat in a time of famine. In the book of Proverbs, this word is, is again used to indicate, uh, and it's translated, confidence. So Proverbs Chapter 3, verses 25 through 26 says, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. This has to do with the idea of stability as well as sustenance in difficult times. The desolation of the wicked, uh, the, the sudden fear, famine, pestilence, that kind of thing. When your hope is in the Lord... He's like a generous layer of belly fat to, to help you through difficult times. And I promise you, if you take this to heart, you go out into the society today, go to the mall, go to the grocery store, and try and stop yourself from looking at someone with a few extra generous pounds around the midsection and not think, man, does that person have a lot of hope. In a literal sense, they do. They're not in danger of starvation. They're not in danger of it. I have had some difficulties with my stomach and we're, we're working on trying to figure some of those things out. But one of the side effects is I haven't been able to eat as much as I would like. And so in the last year, I've probably, well, it's been less than a year I've been dealing with it, but um, probably in the last eight or nine months, I have lost nearly 30 pounds. And it's getting down to where, yeah, you can see my abs. Maybe for, you can't, I won't show them to you, but I mean, I, I can see them and my wife could see them. And, but it's not because I've been working out so strenuously. It's just that I'm, I'm literally, I'm losing body fat. I'm losing weight as a result 
result of not eating. I would be a poor candidate to go on to the survival show alone because I have very little reserves stored up in the first place. And if I can't find food, I'm in trouble. Now, how does this relate to you and I? Hope is like belly fat in a time of difficulty and famine. Why? Because, loved ones, many of us who do not take the time to meditate on, contemplate, and set our hope and our expectation from the Lord, in the Lord, and our hope is in our own strength, our hope is in many other things, in ourself even. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we'll hope in, we'll trust in the Lord our God. But I know that in my life, when times of spiritual famine, when times of difficulty arise and have arisen, the times when I have not been walking in hope, where the Lord has not been that that shield of, of, of hope, that shield of Kessel around my spiritual midsection, I have been, man, I have been, I've, it has been, it's been rough. There have been times that I have almost failed, but for the goodness of God. And I'll tell you the truth, loved ones, learning to trust and hope in the Lord by meditating on his word, by being familiar with his commands and obeying them, by trusting in the Lord, by saying, Lord, you are my hope. You will sustain me. You say, well, I'm, I, I think I'm doing pretty well, but even young men, even youths grow, ti- youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But you know, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Why? Because God will renew that, because God is like Kessel. God is like hope. Hope in God is like belly fat in times of famine. Here's the thing. I can have a limited amount of strength and resilience on my own. But once it's gone, it's gone. And then I'm in trouble. On that show, once the fat reserves are gone, the contestants are in very real trouble. Here's the difference. When our hope and our confidence and our expectation is in the Lord. That is a supply of belly fat that is inexhaustible. That is a supply of spiritual sustenance and energy when we are depleted and when everything around us is going awry. Hope in God is a layer of of caloric potential when the rest of the world is starving. It is stability and weight and strength in a time when the wind is blowing. And I'm talking to some of you who have been trying very hard to do this on your own, pastor, Christian, And you know what God says, but you haven't taken the time to say, Lord, you are my hope. 
my expectation is from you. Lord, come and be like a layer of belly fat around my spiritual midsection. My hope is in the Lord. And, it, and hope that is in the Lord is that which will sustain us. Tribulation, Paul said, worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. The more we have experienced and meditated on the goodness of God, and we think back over those things, which is what the psalmist was saying in Psalm 78, the more we do that, the more we pack on the pounds. When we see what God has done in the past. Now, here's why you have to tell children and younger generations about that, because most of them have not lived long enough to have had the experiences, but you can actually transfer some Kessel to younger generations by telling them about the goodness of the Lord, by instructing them in the way of God, packing on the pounds, not teaching them to depend on themselves, but to depend upon the Lord. He's the one that renews our strength. He's where we get calories and energy in lean times. Hope in God, the expectation of good. It's like belly fat in a time of famine. Well, that's what I have for you today. But before I go, I want to pray for you and ask that God would turn your heart towards him in hope, in hope. Stability, strength, sustenance. Father, thank you so much for your promises. Thank you for the experiences that I have had, as well as those listening, where you have demonstrated your goodness and your kindness and your provision. And each of those experiences through difficult times do upon meditation and reflection a few pounds around the midsection. And while I may want to lose physical weight, Father, I want to get tubby in spirit. <laughs> I want that Kessel to be packed around my spiritual midsection. I want to abound more and more in hope. And I want that for those listening, Lord. Strengthen their hearts. Encourage them. Pack on the pounds, Lord that when the times of difficulty come, they would thrive. Well, hey, everybody, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear from you, thispoorpastor at gmail.com. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week, hopefully. <laughs> Goodbye now. <laughs>